like, hello, Ed. Ed. Been on holiday anywhere? <laughs> no, not, not for years and years and years. We can't afford holidays too dedicated to the rant cast. That, that's right, yeah. Rant cast badge kissers are us. Do you know, we, we should have a line of rant cast badges <laughs> so uh, the people can go around kissing them. <laughs> that would be excellent. Uh, you know how at the end of last week we talked about the two games coming up and I set the over-under at four goals total in the two matches and you, you brought it down to three and we said it was going to be basically horribly frustrating, disjointed nonsense. Yeah. Can't help noticing we were somewhat on the money in that score. Yeah, the problem is that much as you can do all this, you know, in-play betting and all that, betting on horribly frustrating nonsense isn't one they'll let you bet on. But yeah, we, we were we were spot on with that one. Maybe not, I think we both predicted a win for United in Marseille, didn't we? Yeah, perhaps, uh, I don't actually remember, perhaps we can uh, listen back to the last week's podcast. Sounds like the sort of thing we'd say. Probably does, yeah. So we didn't quite get that one right. But uh, horribly frustrating, boring, turgid, disjointed, see, negative. And that was just against Crawley. <laughs> it was even worse against Marseille. Um, no, I have to say I enjoyed the Marseille match more than the Crawley match. Because the Crawley match was just really depressing in a way. The first 15 minutes against Marseille would look really good. And then that all went away. But there were things to sort of enjoy about the Marseille game. And apart from Wesley Brown's lovely little header uh, against Crawley, there was absolutely nothing good to come out of that game. No, and, and in fact, Crawley should have scored, shouldn't they, with about a minute to go. I, I actually missed the game. I was moving house, and then I uh, I went back and watched extended highlights of it on the Tinternet. How do you, how on earth do you find highlights, let alone extended highlights? That's uh, That's got to be in a, a, a pretty tricky job, editing-wise. That, that's dedication for you, that's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> I, I, I did think about that, actually. I thought, you know, if I'd missed that game, there's no way I'd have gone back and looked at it because it was just absolutely miserable from start to finish, really. The G-bomb was probably our best player in that game. Yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, it's funny how that's now caught on in the Twittersphere, <laughs> isn't it? The, the G-bomb, yeah. Uh, you know what? If he if that ever becomes, like, universally recognised by United fans as his nickname, that may be the single proudest achievement of my life. <laughs> there, was a, there was a funny piece by in The Guardian Daniel Taylor actually on on uh, the G bomb Gibbo whatever we're allowed. Just, to call we're only him. allowed to call him the G bomb. That's the official rule. Basically, to to, to paraphrase, said uh, Gibson is uh, everything Paul Scholes is, except that he can't pass, turn, shoot. Uh, well, no, he can he shoot, can. but uh, but essentially, uh, the, yes. In, the, in summary, the man has no talent, which of course uh, here on on the Rankars we've known for some while. And yes, uh, okay, he he was decent against Crawley. <laughs> Sorry, it's like you really, really have to be actively trying to be a Darren Gibson apologist to cite good against Crawley as a kind of thing in his defence, don't you? Uh, I, you do, yeah. And and then against Marseille, he, he just he was just frustrating. He doesn't see the pass quick enough. He doesn't see around him quick enough. He doesn't seem to have any peripheral vision. He's he's pretty slow. His passing is inaccurate unless it's over five yards. And and frankly, he traps the ball further than that. To quote George Best, and it, it, it was incredible, of course, that he was picked ahead of, of Scholes, and I guess that's because Ferguson was concerned about Marseille's physical presence, and, and you know, Gibson having the younger legs ought to um, offer, offer more in that sense than, than Scholes, but he offered nothing else, and, and uh, I, I just I just don't get it. I, I really don't. And then, of course, if, if our criticism of, of the G-bomb has been pretty harsh over recent weeks, it really ought to be nothing in comparison to our criticism of Bebe and Gabriel Obertan against Crawley who were abysmal 
truly abysmal. I mean, Bebe, man, we've seen we've seen some good stuff from him in flashes, haven't we? Yeah. In, in his what eight eight months in Manchester now. But the rest of it, he looks like a twelve year old just trying trying to learn. And worse than that, more like a six year old trying to learn how to play the game. And and uh, it's it's just awful. He's definitely got a Bambi quality to him, hasn't he? And Bambi as a newborn trying to stand up sort of quality, which I, th- I think could could definitely be turned into a Paolo one-shot style control over the ball and, and, and sort of bizarre, peculiar grace under pressure. But at the moment, he's, he's just blowing very hot and cold. If, if I had to keep either Bebe or Obertan, it would definitely be Bebe because Obertan was properly abysmal. And we it looks to me like we've basically destroyed a decent player like he came to the club not not setting the world on fire but but pretty effective and able to do a certain type of job but a year and a half or whatever it is without football is just killing him he just looks absolutely devoid of any confidence whatsoever and and his touch was completely abysmal it was like having a much much worse much much faster Sung park on the pitch it, it's it but it's a symptomatic of united's transfer policy isn't it and actually i didn't really mean to go into a rant about that but but it, it and it's it's not not about spending money per se it, it's about the policy it's scattergun it's about harvesting as many younger players with potential because you know, we managed to pull off some kind of miracle with Ronaldo well frankly given the the evidence that's looking like a, a one-off and and okay look Smalling was great against Marseille and he looks like he'll be a good player he also cost United 12 million pounds mind you well yeah but how much did Ronaldo cost about 12 million pounds yeah so that's that's the figure that's not a punt at that point that's the figure for the pretty good young player who could be great kind of thing you know the, the 12 million pound that's not a complete punt yeah so though Ronaldo's price did treble in a week and and there were some definite dodgy goings on with that which have never quite been cleared up uh, and and uh, of course Hernandez we've seen has some potential although we really don't know whether he's, he's going to make it as a starting United player so but so many of the others Obertan Bebe Mame Birem Diouf Tosic before he was cast away at are players that United, I think, see some kind of potential in and hope they'll come good, but they're willing to throw that money at it because if they turn one of them into another Ronaldo, then they've struck gold. And and for me, that's no kind of policy. I mean, we've talked about it before, but it's the venture capitalist model, isn't it? It's to make a lot of small investments and hope that one pays off big. It's it's obviously something I, I look at quite closely in the day job. And the, the VC model, in fact, is uh, we don't want to make any money out of any of these. We're not interested in small. We're interested in huge. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you're right. That's exactly the same as United. United are not interested in mediocre, they're interested in the potential for brilliance. And if they they score big with one of those uh, they'll find that that, that's okay, I I guess because it's quite easy to develop our own mediocre. We've done quite well at that over the last decade (laughs) or so. Ah, you know, I'm fe- I feel like the whole the whole culture of being a fan is a very peculiar thing. I, I spend a lot of time nowadays, which I never really used to do, on Twitter as a medium to discuss football. Uh, that that's really since since the rank cast started, and I, and I really enjoy a lot of things about it. There, there's some brilliant like interaction, especially like with people that enjoy the rank cast. There's some really nice people, and there's some really interesting football comment. But there's a real problem in that the second that you start saying anything in the least bit critical, people say why aren't you supporting the team and and we're top like at the moment we're top of the league we're still in Europe and the FA Cup it's we're still in the middle of having what is a pretty good season but 
you can't see what's going on at the at United at the moment and be triumphalist about it unless you're really not paying any attention to the nuance. You know, any even fairly superficial analysis of what's going on at United at the moment says we've got a team with really serious problems if we want to challenge at the highest level. And realistically, the only way we're going to win the league is if we scrape enough decent results out of not brilliant performances, batter enough of the smaller teams and click every so often and our rivals continue to falter you know it's only because so there's been so many drop points by the teams that you wouldn't have expected to drop those points as particularly Chelsea because I think you always expect Arsenal to drop the points and Manchester City are not the team that they will be in probably in two or three years yet so they're, they're still very inconsistent but like our midfield three yesterday was Michael Carrick Darren Fletcher and the G-bomb and that is not a midfield three to inspire it well if if Michael Carrick was playing to his potential and Darren Fletcher was playing to his potential, then you could carry the G-bomb in that midfield. But with Carrick having an absolute shocker, you said he, he was as poor as you've ever seen a player play when we talked about the games last week. And I, I thought Michael Carrick had an... He was probably the worst player on the pitch, definitely had a worse game than Gibson last night. And his, his passing, which is his whole game, has completely gone to pop. So we're totally devoid of creativity in, in, in that midfield three. If it's... If none of those players are playing to their potential apart from Fletcher who's not a creative outlet type player no although he's been turned into a box to box player these days he, he actually I mean he went from being a, thought of as a creative player at 16 to turning himself into a defensive midfielder to now being actually the furthest forward of United's you know two or three frequently and, and it's not his forte is it I mean you, you started that, that piece off by saying you find it quite frustrating if, if you're critical because people say why aren't you supporting the team and and for me that that makes no sense i mean is, this is the kind of ontological argument isn't it it's 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 blind faith in the team therefore it, it must be true that you know you support the team all the time and i i just uh, i don't buy that i never have as a fan and and uh, i go to old trafford and i shout and scream for the team and i jump up and down when united score and I, that's supporting the team is it not but uh, offline if you will i do like to have a look at these things with with um, you know, more of a dispassionate view or or, or engage in some kind of debate, and we do it on the Rankcast every week. That's kind of why the Rankcast exists, right? And there are clear problems, and you can reason these out with the United team and no one telling me that uh, hey you know Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson doesn't often get it wrong uh, will convince me that uh, there are not real problems with this United side and there are and, and we're lucky that there are more problems with others and, and I think this will be borne out in Europe that uh, and, and you know presuming we uh, managed to beat Marseille which which is a, a, frankly a presumption and you know they're, they're an inconsistent side in French football which isn't that great then, um, then I I think will be found out in the latter stages of the competition but um, we'll see anyway there you go double-sided rant there. S- something something about uh, the Crawley game that I wanted to talk about that was incredibly frustrating and what I have to say was partly down to circumstance as much as uh, Will but um, I'm a big fan of Atman United Youth on Twitter and in fact we're, we're going to you don't know this yet Ed but we're going to have him on the rank cast in a few weeks time and he, he, he talks a lot about what's going on in the youth team and there's definitely some excitement around some of the younger players in the side and there was 
people giving squad numbers and people lining up on the bench to play. But because we've got Obertan and Bebe and, and uh, Gibson um, in that kind of reserve rather than youth level, John O'Shea, I guess you could include in that mix, they, they don't get a chance in the first team, even against Crawley. And you have to imagine that some... It's just it's just kind of frustrating because they couldn't have offered less than Obertan and Bebe. There was I saw a lot of uh, tweets saying, you know, I could have done better than Obertan in this game and I would like to make it absolutely clear that I could not have done better than Obertan in that game. I would have been much, much, much worse than Gabriel Obertan. But would, would some of our younger players not have added some dynamism and excitement and at least given the at least given a kind of buzz? I guess he was hoping that that, that would come from Obertan or Bebe, but but he must he must see them in training. He he must know that they're not good enough because otherwise they'd be getting action against proper teams. It's a, it's a difficult argument that one, isn't it? Because players don't develop unless they have some kind of act and if they don't develop they're not going to get the action and it's a very difficult club United uh, for for all the younger players that have come through over the years it's actually a very difficult club I think to make it as a younger player because success is demanded constantly and, and all of those arguments and United has to be at the top and if they're not uh, people like us will be moaning about it and, yeah. and uh, in fact you know the media with a much higher profile and all that so it is it's, it's a tough one and you don't actually find too many players coming through and making it in, in fact if you see the makeup of the, the current United side it's, it's really only Raphael who's broken through into the first team from from youth in recent seasons I mean, most of the rest of, did it many years ago and, and I guess Johnny Evans but we, we've spoken about him before and, and how poor he's been this season yeah and he's definitely fallen down the pecking order hasn't he he's definitely behind uh, Chris Morley in the pecking order in that Crawley game the Twins both uh, came off injured Raphael I guess a more minor injury and we did I, I remember saying last week you know it would be really nice to see Fabio play 90 minutes but once again he doesn't make it and, and it's starting to become absolutely endemic with him isn't it that, that every time he plays he's going to come off with a knock it, almost every time isn't it I mean yeah. I don't think that's even just anecdotal no, I, no. I'm pretty sure almost every single time he's played for United he has actually come off with an injury in some kind and it's a real problem and, and I don't know whether it's a case for him just having to man up or he's just you know predisposed to injury I'd be very I'd be very surprised if it was a man up sort of thing that seems remarkably unlikely indeed I, indeed and, and uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll have had him in the gym and, and all that and, but but it is a problem and the club do need to help the player sort this out in, in order that he actually progresses of course Patrice Evra signed a new three and a bit year contract didn't he so he's going to be at the club or two and a bit year contract actually I think he's going to be signed up to the club till 2014 so that's a major roadblock towards Fabio's development and, and uh, can't really see anything bar him going out on loan next season anything other than that and he's just not going to get any games yeah I mean except that we do need cover for Patrice because if we don't then John O'Shea plays and, and nobody wants that to happen well no no although, although he has played in a few games recently hasn't he of course he has and nobody wanted that to happen but look United didn't lose either to Crawley which would have been highly embarrassing and I'm sure the fireworks were, were going off in the, the dressing room after that game or to Marseille and, and you know United's progress is, is therefore still in our own hands record at Old Trafford is superb and y- you would still expect United to win yeah absolutely And but before we move off the Crawley game just finally I, I, I can definitely imagine that being Gabriel Obertan's last ever 
competitive start for Manchester United. Yes, well, there, there was some talk in the winter of him having put a transfer request in. Actually, talk that wasn't denied by the club, nor confirmed, of course. So uh, that was a very strange one. But yeah, I, I would expect to see Overtown go back to France in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. And talking of going back to France, now we really can travel across the English Channel to Marseille, where the fans are extraordinarily noisy and do that thing I really like at European grounds where they do coordinated chanting. <laughs> yeah, it's a remarkable ground, really. The sort of four-leaf clover effect, and it's three quarters uncovered, isn't it? And uh, the, the the fans are really passionate, and they've had so many years without success at Marseille. Obviously, all the, the financial scandals after their you know huge success in the early 90s and change of ownership and it's been a, almost two decades of upheaval and finally under Deschamps they won the, the, the championship last season and, and well deserved for such a well supported and, and big club and, and they are passionate and it's a shame in a way that the Stade Velodrome is, is going to change for the, the European Championships in 2016 they're putting a roof on it so I think the character of the ground will change quite a lot. Still a, a unique club and a unique set of supporters and I thought they did their team proud even if their team wasn't you know, nearly as exciting as the fans last night. No, and it's probably worth mentioning that United fans once again travelling away in France got a horrible time of it. It sounds like there was some who were perhaps even beaten by the police. There were people kept away from getting into the game. Our, our end didn't fill up until a little bit into the first half. Uh, all that stuff is, is, is always like horrible to see. Pretty frequent as well, I have to say, yeah. And uh, and caged in the corner, yeah, worst possible part of the ground and, and all of that, yeah. That is quite a while since I've been on a Euro away, but that that is a story that is told by many people who go very frequently. Yeah, and um, the the game itself not not great to look at, not completely devoid of any highlights. There was there was a moment of control from Berbatov quite late on in the game where he got the ball in a crowd of three players and kept it really really well. And if we'd nicked a goal, it would have been an absolute kind of vintage Ferguson away in Europe, very kind of cagey, not particularly impressive performance. But we got away with the result. But nil nil is a pretty terrible result isn't it in the first leg well it could have been worse we could have lost so uh, yeah the, the the problem with that is, is, of course it brings up the spectre of, of Monaco all those years ago where, where Marseille came to Old Trafford score early and then then can sit on it knowing that United have scored twice and, and the game is there therefore, therefore opens up and, and United are, are there for the sucker punch and I, I just don't know whether Marseille have as, as much in the locker as Monaco did all those years ago because Trezeguet scored yeah. that, that you know, superb goal at Old Trafford and and I think it was like three or four minutes in, he you know, stuck it around the top corner, and, and United didn't, you know, have a hope after that. And that that's always the worry. I think United play it slightly differently these days, and they will be probably fairly cautious at Old Trafford too. And I wouldn't expect us to go over the kill. Although, of course, we did against Bayern Munich, and and we're three nil up after twenty minutes or whatever it was. But we'll see. You'd still you'd still think with United's record this season at Old Trafford that we'll we'll, we'll be too good for Marseille, but nil nil. I think in modern European terms isn't a great result. No, um, and time for a little Rooney watch, which I think should probably become a regular feature on the show. That stunning goal the other week has not kicked him into life, I would argue. He came on against Crawley and was completely and utterly ineffective, stuck out on the left against Marseille. Once again, touch not looking great, passing not looking great. He did not not absolutely terrible last night, I have to say. Not not as bad as some of the performances he's put in, but, but still, just 
just a, an absolute shadow of himself, the poor lad. Yeah, he really is. And, and uh, he says he doesn't mind playing on the left, but he's got to mind playing on the left. It's just not his natural position. And, and spending far too much time covering the left back and it just it doesn't make sense it's um it's not a good position for him to be in and against Crawley he, he kind of played in a in a kind of midfield position effectively didn't he he, he mm. sort of played quite deep and again you'd actually think that'd be a more natural position but he, he just didn't have the right touch and you just know he's not with it because his first touch is heavy for all the brilliance of that goal actually in the in the lead up to as we spoke about before in the lead up to that goal he had a couple of heavy touches and a poor pass and somehow managed to scissor kick that one into the top corner his form is still woeful and who knows when it will come back it's been a year now a year almost exactly a year yeah yeah uh, and it, it's it's difficult to watch and you know of course he's still got enough in his locker that he's still worth keeping you know you obviously want him in the team because he'll do something like he did against City you know which probably no one in the pitch not even Berbatov could have done that exact overhead kick uh, Berbatov again has not scored since we last spoke and you know he's he's in another one of those mini lulls I don't think he's played badly and he hasn't like missed the sitters uh, which which indicate that Berber watch has to go into overdrive and, and he has he has looked really assured on the ball um, and confident there was a point in the game yesterday where he was cutting inside from the left wing and Rooney and him sort of got in each other's space a bit and you could see Rooney's body shape shaping up to take the ball off Berbatov but Berbatov didn't let him you know and the move kind of broke down because they did get in each other's way but I thought the fact that Berbatov didn't let him was quite telling actually that, that his confidence was up still you know because I think I think in his weakest moments Berbatov would have kind of stepped out of the way and let Rooney take the ball he didn't have a great game against Marseille but I, I think it's as it's plainly obvious playing up front on his own is, is not the best position for him and no. and uh, he, he did his job for the team because there were quite a few injuries uh, to in midfield and, and therefore it made sense to shunt Rooney out to the left I think if Ryan Giggs had been fit Giggs would have played and Rooney would have played up top on his own in the first 15 minutes I thought we were in for an absolute cracker I thought oh my god we're wrong on the rank cast you know this isn't going to be that sort of performance because Nanny was skinning Gabby Hines for fun you know he was just like beating him, he beat him, I don't know, he must have beaten him three or four times in the first 20 minutes um, and it, it looked like it was absolutely on but then we we didn't capitalise on that and Marseille kind of got back into their stride and, and their breaking up of our play became more effective and then the crowd got louder and then it, it kind of went downhill from there really and 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 kind of for all the fact that we've we've managed some real good last minute fight backs this season, the, there is that, that thing that we've talked about before that there's a kind of mental weakness in this team that doesn't quite have the belief to turn the game around and you know when Skulls came on it just transformed United he was only on for 10 minutes or whatever but he just he just wanted the ball all the time give me the ball just give me the ball and I'll do something with it you know God don't you wish he was 20 years younger well I kind of do except that I suspect that in the next 20 years I might watch less football than I have done in the past 20 years because you know you grow up life gets busier less time for football and stuff so I think I think sorry I'm... sorry sorry I've got to stop you there sorry what, what is more important what Really, really, edit that piece. Yeah, so, dear. (laughs) 
Sorry, I know it's uh, it's a terrible faux pas to commit on a football podcast, but you know, real life and all that. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I'm quite glad that I've I've seen Skulls' absolute peak during my football watching peak. It's kind of timed it quite nicely. Which brings us on actually to to an item that we wanted to discuss because Ferguson said before the Marseille game that he was hopeful that Skulls would sign a new one year contract and keep him at the club until sort of June 2012, which of course we speculated might be the time that Fergie goes. I actually think. I think Ferguson's looking tired and I think June 2012 will be when he goes that's when Ryan Giggs will retire we'll see if Skulls will also sign that one year deal and, and they'll all go at the same time bit, bit upsetting really isn't it yes uh, um, I mean we, we talked about this very briefly before the podcast started and I, I said that I thought Skulls is looking tired I'm not totally confident that he'll sign a new contract how how assuming he stays relatively injury free how Ferguson uses Skulls for the rest of the season will be very telling I think because the fact that he was only on for 20 minutes last night in a game that was absolutely crying out for him means that either Ferguson's trying to save him for what he perceives as greater challenges up ahead or that it was just the physicality of Marseille he thought that Skulls was a bad match for the opposition or Skulls' fitness is, is not what it wants well it's obviously not what it once was but but he's seriously impaired and and his ability to play loads and loads and loads of minutes of football is is questionable and, and I don't know I think if he thinks that his performances are going to suffer he's more likely to do a Gary Neville and, and step out gracefully isn't he? I think you're right yes uh, I, I you kind of suspect that Skulls would just like to retire himself I mean Ferguson said himself that Skulls thinks he should be playing every week and not not in a prima donna way that he just thinks that he's only useful if he's playing every yeah. week and, and that he's finding it hard to adjust to to the realities of, of what he is now and and maybe Ferguson is saving him and we've got an incredible few weeks coming up Liverpool, Chelsea Chelsea again potentially a, an FA Cup tie against Arsenal thrown into the mix and and potentially a quarter final of the Champions League and that's all before the end of sort of March basically and, and so, so it's a very tough time. Having said that, Skulls really only is effective either against weaker opposition who who are a bit loose and don't don't press. Or in a three in midfield, and just doesn't have the legs for a four four two anymore. And, and but still on the ball, he's he's as good as ever, isn't he? And and the, the old magic's still there. He just doesn't have the legs to to back it up. So we'll we'll see. I I, I wouldn't like to see Skulls become a player that you know we're keeping it from nostalgia from a nostalgic point of view. And I don't think that'd be good for him either. He's got nothing to prove has he he's had a wonderful career he doesn't need to stay on it's really can he provide value for United over and above someone else the Xavi piece by Sid Lowe uh, the week before last in the Observer prompted a lot of Paul Scholes love and it's just you know if ever a player didn't have anything to prove of course you don't get the sense that he doesn't think he's got anything to prove because you you know he seems to be the sort of character that every time he steps out on the pitch he's got something to prove because he always wants to put in a good shift because he really cares you know he's he's a player that really cares about his own performance and how it affects the team and all that sort of thing and his value even like even you get the sense that he's the sort of person that cares about his value to the employer you know his value to Manchester United because he's he's never got a ridiculous contract he's, he's kind of kept his wages he could have earned a lot more money than he has kind of thing just because he decided he didn't need any more money a remarkable absolutely remarkable man Paul Scholes right and in, in fact that's, that's very true for all that he's been one of United's best players over the last 20 years he's actually 
he's never been one of the club's top earners. I mean, he's 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 well remunerated, and uh, and 20 years at United means he'll retire a very wealthy man and need do nothing else for the rest of his life. But but still, yeah, he he could have he could have moved abroad or or whatever and and uh, earned a fortune. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about what Paul Scholes will do next uh, at some point in the future. But I think my my initial prediction is that he's going to end up as the youth team development coach at Oldham at some point I think that seems to be the most likely thing it's funny people keep linking him with Oldham but of course he says himself that he was uh, he was never an Oldham fan but uh, his dad just took him down there when he was a kid yeah and also he kept going there all the time himself and when he was asked who his three favourite players were he cited three Oldham reserves so I think he's got some some love for for Oldham uh, we, had, we had a Twitter question um, from at BS1878 MUTD rolls off the tongue question now that Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes have and could sign extensions do we think that actually what's going on is that the Glazers are just not going to give us any money in this summer and Sir Alex, that's why Sir Alex is uh, trying to keep the old stages at the club well I, I have to say I, I this is no, this is the point I muted in, in one of my pieces this week right. I, I kind of suspect that, um, that that's probably the case yeah all the talk of this uh, £100 million transfer fund will probably not come to fruition I, I think uh, there will be no value in this summer's transfer market <laughs> Skulls will be persuaded to stay on because he got you know he's got loads still to offer and and we will not see any of those massive signings come in and the Glazers who have well we've got financial results coming out tomorrow 150 160 million pounds sitting in in the bank there will will take I think they're currently entitled to 128 million and it keeps ticking on up and they'll take their dividend and and uh, off we go you know that's uh, I, I think that's what they'll do personally I mean I, I yeah I, I I don't know I think I think they, they're gonna have to buy if not obviously I don't think they're gonna sign Cristiano Ronaldo back or buy Leo Messi off off Barcelona but the extent to which we need an effective attacking midfielder in that side it's like it's absolutely ridiculous because even if Anderson can contribute more which as you've said many times is very much uh, still a big if in terms of his not necessarily his overall contribution but his direct penetrative attacking contribution he's got a pretty shocking injury record already in his career you know he's he's been hurt a lot so so he he's not really going to be the answer even in, in that sense because he's not going to necessarily play enough minutes well yeah who knows I mean he, he's had a broken leg and knee injury and he's got another knee injury although it looks like this is a, a two to three week job rather than a month's uh, job uh, but the, I don't think he has the tools to, to become that attacking midfield player I think he's an all-rounder yeah. a bit like Darren Fletcher yeah. really and it, it's good to have those in the, the squad but he's not a sort of fantasister is he he's, he's, he's not number 10 and I know Ferguson has never really played with that type of player but, but he's always had someone dictate play and it's always normally been Paul Scholes hasn't it and and Scholes in, during his early days scored a lot of goals as well yeah absolutely and and we do need we just it's just desperate and I think that I think they'll spend some money I do I, th- I, th- I think I think that in in the summer there'll be at least one middle level 
top name player, you know, come to, come to United. I don't know who it'll be. Um, but they, I guess, of course, they've got to buy a goalkeeper, really, uh, unless Anders Lindegaard is, is really blowing them away in training. Yeah, well, well, we'll see on that one, won't we? Of course, one player that many people have high hopes for is Tom Cleverley over uh, at uh, Wigan. Yeah. I guess yeah. We'll, we'll see him come back, and we won't see him during the week. Oh, the, sorry, the weekend, because he's not allowed to play against his parents' club. He's had, he's had a mixed season with Wigan. Injuries really have, you know, kind of interspersed some good performances for the club. And, yeah. And I think people have high hopes for him. Although, you know, he's 21, pushing 22 now, so he kind of needs to kick on. He, d- he does look good, though, to me. I'm not exactly... I haven't spent a huge amount of time watching Wigan this season, but, but he did. I, I think he's definitely got some potential, hasn't he? And, you know, I keep hearing that there's absolutely bags of talent in that youth team. But whether next season will be the season that we see Ravel Morrison, if he can sort himself out a bit off the pitch, breaking into the breaking into the team, because apparently he's an absolute cut above, I have to say. I, I don't get to watch any United youth football, um, but, but I hear nothing but good things about him. Um, um, so that perhaps, perhaps that's. But you know, this—it's it's like you were saying about the transfer policy. It's, 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 it's all kind of ifs and buts and maybes, isn't it? But that's that's always the case with youth football, and and, and there's, a, there's a lot of high hopes about Paul Pogba, of course, and and Ryan yeah. Tuncliffe made the, the bench this week. Certainly, Pogba and, and Morrison look great players. Pogba, I think it's lazy journalism. Actually, they liken him to Patrick Vieira because he's of African descent and he's black and he's French and and he's kind of tall and lanky but he's actually a much more creative attacking player than that and and Morrison just just tell his class he just kind of glides across the pitch and in his wonderful touch and he can score goals and he can play in almost any attacking position and he's also a nut job and uh, that's a you know, clear problem for him so of course look you can have bags and bags and bags of talent but it, it go nowhere and uh, and it, it was illustrative recently I, I, I was um I was helping someone out a, a journal in, in one of the national newspapers do a piece on sort of where are they now uh, for the 1992 side and it's actually very difficult to find some of those guys I mean of course most it, obviously we know all the ones that saved at United and then uh, Simon Davies and and a, a few of the others who, who went around the leagues and, and made careers for themselves and a couple just disappeared off the face of the earth and, and actually that's the norm for players age 17 they they don't make it in football and often not at all yeah and 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 you know that's 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 what i was going to say the list of players who have promised a lot at youth level and come through is a lot shorter than the list who've promised a lot and not not been heard from again or had a kind of mediocre career or because of roy Keane ended up at sunderland <laughs> yeah well there's there's always a useful place to offload people isn't it it's actually if you look at the economics of of united's youth team so some very few actual players have have come through over the last say the decade in the last decade and uh, made it into the united first team on a regular basis i mean obviously o'Shea and brown were sort of late 90s and and early 2000s time and, and johnny evans in the last three years and and darren gibson and darren fletcher and not much aside from that and, and obviously there are then the imports but united has actually consistently managed to sell players as well and, and make a tidy profit out of it my knowledge of football economics essentially comes down to the conversations i've had with you and football manager and you can always sell them for a fortune in football Football manager, none of them have ever got any good stats. So you just, you know, you offload the reserves. First thing you do, isn't it? <laughs> um, and we all know that football manager is an entirely accurate reflection of real football. Yeah, another Twitter. Well, we've had a couple of qu- questions about the midfield, which we've uh, we've definitely t- 
talked about at Neil underscore Barsley and at Ranjit Puna. But Ranjit Puna also wanted to know whether you'd heard anything more about the Qatar bid. Uh, and I know that I certainly haven't, except that once again, it won't go away. And there's another headline doing the rounds right now that they're considering a revised, uh, high, more expensive £1.5 billion bid. Beecham's powders, that, that'll that get rid of the Qatar for you, no. <laughs> lols, lols there, Ed. Look, seriously, I, I, I don't know anything more about the Qatar bid. It, it clearly is not going away simply because people are, are talking about it. And, and although there was a denial, effectively, from the Qatari royal family who uh, are funding all their recent, uh, you know, the World Cup bid and the sponsorship of Barcelona and, and uh, trying to turn Qatar into a sports base, which included effectively buying up Ferguson and, and Zindin Zidane as uh, advocates. There's there's nothing concrete yet. A bid has not been made. They were not asked to do due diligence. And, and so uh, at the moment, it's all speculation. And I don't know if it's any more than that. And uh, the Glazers, of course, basically are in a no-lose position because if they do sell at the kind of figures, 1.5, 1.6 billion that are being talked about they'll make a huge massive profit and if they don't they're just going to keep squeezing the cow for every last drop until they have uh, got to the point where they uh, they realize there's maximum value and then they'll flog it yeah so coming up this week whilst we're still owned by the glazers whilst our midfield is still very questionable uh, we've got a game against wigan and then a massive game our game in hand over the arsenal uh, will be away at chelsea on tuesday night yeah and, and this is the one that was postponed from from uh, sort of December the 28th or whenever it was or when we had the dump of snow and, and uh, you'd have to say that uh, Chelsea aren't really in any better form right now so um, I mean I know they won the Champions League at Copenhagen but still Fernando Torres still looks like he's in woeful form so I don't know it's a terrible time to go to Chelsea it might have been better in December but apparently we, we, had a, we were like riddled with the terrible flu virus at that time anyway so we wouldn't have been able to get a team out well, yeah, Vidic was certainly out, and, and hopefully we'll have Rio Ferdinand back for that game. And so, so Fergie said yesterday. I mean, I, I've said it before, and I will definitely say it again before the end of the season. I just having him there or not is almost literally how I feel about the game. Almost literally hangs on that. It's like if Rio's playing, I just feel confident. I just think he does so much with our distribution, starting moves. He's obviously fantastically solid defensively. I really think he makes a big difference to the mentality of the team I think the team is like stronger and more together with him there I think he's a really important presence I I just I love the attitude he displays on Twitter it's like relentlessly positive and you know I just I just think he makes an enormous I'm just a huge Rio Ferdinand fan and and more and more and more so as time goes on because I think he's becoming a better person as well as a better player you know I I just think he's phenomenally important and for all this kind of ridiculous nonsense that like Vidic has trouble with Torres or whatever um, um, I just think Ferdinand and Vidic is is just the defensive central. It's the central defensive partnership you want to take to absolutely any potentially tough game. Yeah, uh, it's essential. I think uh, it really is, and and it will inspire everyone if Ferdinand is is fit to play that game. And and it's not his back; it's his calf, isn't it? So let's hope yeah. so. Ferguson said he'll says he'll be fit, and I'm sure they won't risk him at Wigan simply because that game's coming up. And and uh, of course, Wigan is a game that United have to win. This. Uh, yeah. No two ways about that. United absolutely have to win, and uh, again on the road. And, and United have won so few occasions uh, this season uh, on the road, and, and so it'll be a tough game, you know, even if it's Wigan. I 
think I think with all due respect to Wigan, as the uh, cliche goes, I think we will beat them even if we don't play very well. And I suspect again that we won't play very well. But for some reason, I've got a feeling in my bones about the game against Chelsea, and I'm I'm prepared to go out on a limb and say I actually think we're going to turn them over. I think we might beat them might beat them two nil even. Um, I think I think we're better than Chelsea when we're playing well, and I think we'll be super super up for that game. Uh, and I think they're they've whatever's going on in their squad there's there's some serious business going on the players aren't playing for the manager or whatever it is that they're just in in a pretty terrible state and the, the Wigan game I guess I guess it'll be a similar lineup to the uh, to the one we saw last night is there is there any any injuries anyone to come back after after being out injured is there anyone who missed that game who's due fit Raphael will be fit apparently and uh, Ryan Giggs should be fit too oh, that makes a big difference then doesn't it because you can you've got a lot more options um, and Raphael obviously adds a lot of attacking potency down the right hand side him and Nani together is a, is a is a really effective right flank isn't it it is it is indeed and and yeah and it'd be good to see Giggs back although who knows whether he'll, he'll actually start or not not that United have too many options on the left side of midfield at the moment of course no um, he really is our only option on the left side him or Nani yeah or, or the dreaded Gabriel Obertan or the, or the dreaded uh, option that Fergie took the other week which was Darren Gibson on the left flank for uh, 20 minutes of a half that, that yes because because that worked didn't, didn't it didn't, yeah. didn't go well didn't go well I can't believe I just called him Darren Gibson I apologise the G-bomb it was of course the G-bomb so on that G-bomb shell I guess barring your predictions that's it for another week I'm going to say uh, 2-1 against Wigan and 2-0 against Chelsea wow super confident yeah I, th- I think we'll get a wing and a win we, we normally get a Wigan and a win and, and, but there have been some close games uh, recently haven't there because that, that very last minute goal that Tevez scored a while ago uh, what on two three years ago now and and the win on the last day i think three years ago uh, when united had to go there and win and a couple of thumping victories last season so i i'm going to say a two nil win at wigan and probably a draw at stanford bridge i think ferguson would take that i would like to give a quick shout out to at happy hero who tweeted at us and said that he has posted a comment on the podcast uh, page on itunes which you can find by searching itunes for united rant it hasn't appeared there yet but apparently it's nice so thank you very much for that um, I'd like to give a massive uh, shout to at Awate91 is doing us a favour which uh, is a super secret favour and I'll, I'll be revealed in the future so thank you very much for that much appreciated uh, you can follow me on Twitter at UTD Rantcast you can follow Ed at United Rant and you can also read all the very interesting stuff that Ed writes um, and uh, Jay's been killing it Jay Sean's been killing it on UnitedRant.co.uk you can also of course post a comment on the podcast post there so thank you very very much indeed for listening and and the you know just cannot say enough how much appreciate the uh, the feedback when people have enjoyed the rankcast it's uh, makes it all worthwhile doesn't it certainly does and and we'll do another one of these next week